Hello, Rachel. Hello, Ryan. How are you going today? I'm feeling very satisfied. I thought you were going to say sad, which <laughs> which was also an appropriate answer. Yeah. I, I feel a little bit melancholic. Mm. I feel a little bit uh, of that after having watched another episode of uh, Space Above and Beyond. So, Rachel, who are who are we and what are we doing on this podcast? What are we doing here? On this podcast... We are watching through the television series Space Above and Beyond. Ooh, yes. Mm-hmm. Space Above and Beyond, a one-season show from the 90s that was brutally murdered by Fox, science fiction <laughs> series written by some well-known writers, uh, Glenn Morgan and James Wong, who were just coming off of their successful run on the X-Files. This was their own show that they got to head, and uh, it is a, f- I won't say forgotten show, but it is a buried show. This is a show that is An hard. almost cult classic. An almost cult classic. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Like, the audience for this series is... Very much appreciating of it, but it is a small audience, and it is not the most vocal within science fiction fandoms, but it is one of those series where it it has a place. It, it, it has a place within the tapestry of science fiction television, and we're here to look at that. We're here to go over it. I've seen the series before, but Rachel, you've never seen it before. Mm-mm. So you're going through this for the first time, and that means, of course, there's no spoilers to worry about outside of this episode and the previous ones we've discussed, because even for myself, I've watched this show over before, but it isn't one that I'm deeply familiar with, so going through it, podcasting about it, is giving me a finer appreciation of this show that I've or, or I've already liked in the past, but it's one that I've always wanted to engage with more because there's, there's a lot of moving parts to it, whether we look at it as just what's in the content of a singular episode or if we want to look at it from that... Uh, from that step back and see it for where it is in the uh, landscape of uh, television. So we're Yum Yum Podcast because of what reason, Rachel? Is this a reference to Space Above and Beyond? No. Did Ray Butts say this line? No. Ray <laughs> Butts definitely could have, but he would no. Have. It comes from Star Trek Discovery. Whoop whoop. A individual that is paid to say lines, (laughs) uh, said, yum, yum. Yep. And why did we latch on to that? Because it changed our lives. And why did it change our lives? Because it was so fucking ridiculous. It was ridiculous. It was very silly. And we love silliness here. And I... I do love silliness in my sci-fi, hence Ray Butts is one of my favourite episodes of Space Above and Beyond because that's a bit silly, but it's so po-faced about it. That's the fine line where Yum Yum 
was delivered with that cheeky wink to the camera, but that episode was still very po-faced. It's about juggling tones, and sometimes you have a yum-yum moment where it just drops all the balls in one foul swoop. It's like, oh no, we're trying to juggle! Oh, I've dropped every single one of them. And then you get Ray Butts on the other side where... It's pancake time, it's almost pancake time, and you go, this should make this episode fall apart, but gosh darn, it's so damn good. (laughs) I guess Ray Butts has ate his last pancake. We are up to episode 14 out of 23. We have less than 10 episodes now. How does that feel for a start? Sad. So this is Never No More. And the DVD description describes it as such. Shane encounters an old boyfriend as both their divisions volunteer to help hunt down a powerful new Chig vessel, which is rumoured to be equipped with a cloaking device. You predicted last week when you heard this title that we're going to have a far more, uh, if I'm not mistaken, far more Saratoga-based episode. The Chigs would not show up, is what you stated, because we've had a lot of Chig action, Mm -hmm. so you said we weren't going to get any Chig action. But you also grappled with the fact that with a title like Never Know More, it could be something relating to plot lines we've had in the past. Is this going to be a mutiny episode? Is this going to be an episode where our crew have to uh, question their orders? And what we got instead was... A, a, a massive uh, uh, left turn, I guess, which is a deep character study episode on Shane again. It's been a yep. while since we've had a Shane episode, and so the writing team said, we should go back to her. She's great. <laughs> uh, so it didn't fully meet your criteria. No. It no. was heavily on the Saratoga, uh, but it was focusing on just one individual on the Saratoga far more than it yeah. being an ensemble piece or encapsulating the whole crew. Yeah, even though everybody was here and everybody was doing their thing. Yeah, even Winslow came back again. Uh, she's here again, and uh, she was here in the opening in one of the opening sequences with uh, she was having a drink with uh, with Vanson and Damfu. And so it was uh, It was cool to see her again. Yeah, that was a cute moment. That was a cute... Hey, we got to see Danfu with her hair out. Like, yeah. it's not in that tight little bun. Not in regulation. Mm, mm. Yeah, we've only seen it slightly out before, I think it was last week. or No, no, it was in Who Monitors the Birds when uh, 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 our boy, our good friend, Cooper Hawks, was getting... Uh, the mission to go and he was looking at them sleeping and giving a silent farewell and we saw her in bed and her hair was out and it was all curly and uh, that was that was cool but uh, different to her hair in the pilot different to that wig she had in the pilot yeah <laughs> so my history with never no more is i do remember this i i'm a shane vanson fan so i do recollect the episodes that heavily focus on her character as, as well as we get a an interesting uh, development in the war against the Chigs. There's a progression of the war arc, as well as a, as a new foe that we're given, a memorable foe. Even though we don't get a shot of who this Chiggy von Richthofen is, we, we get a personality from it, and it gives the 58th and 
everybody else something to fear, something to worry about. And the fact that it wasn't all neatly wrapped up in a little bow by the end of this episode also makes this memorable to me because, oh, well, you have the potential to come back to this if you so want to. So that is my overall relationship. I've enjoyed this one. What about you? What did you think of this first time around? What was your overall experience with it? I really enjoyed this episode. I thought that the storyline was really solid. Um, it's building on character stuff really nicely. Um, it also has more indirect links to previous episodes. It's not like, hey, and now this thing is like this other thing that we did. But it's just like, oh, you can go like, oh, that's kind of like that mission. and <laughs> Yeah, yeah. and Oh, yeah, that makes sense that they're saying that because of this thing. They also deliver backstory and exposition in a jovial manner. So it feels far more human and organic. There was a quick little quip about how for someone like Vanson, who sure hates the AI, she knows how to play poker like him. And that was a... Nice gamble little like yeah, gamble-like yeah, yeah. one. And that was a nice way of reintroducing uh, her relationship with the AIs without it being like, the AIs killed my parents and I have a boner against them. It was <laughs> something human and uh, just how people would talk. But uh, yeah, you overall had a, a great time with yep. this? Yeah, there's a lot of... A lot of things being tied together with this. Now, I have a bit of a love-hate relationship with Never Know More after having just viewed it now. Now, I think it's great. I, I, I just really want to underline that now. But there were things that I did not like, things that I verged on hating as well. And I also, again, really want to emphasize the things that I'm going to go over should not really matter because the weight of the acting, the script, and the direction were all in top form here. What I'm going to go over is production. So we are now just over halfway through the series, and we know, having lived in the current year and Space Above and Beyond was a show that was uh, was was meddled with by Fox and eventually cancelled. And we've already seen those ripple into the show, the 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 lack of on-screen violence, the, the violence that they're not allowed to show on the screen. We've talked about the, the tonal shifts that the series has to accommodate. There are certain uh, cues to us that this is a series that is being forced to be something that it isn't setting out to be at times. And it hasn't been so overt that it's been a detriment fully to the series. But we open up this episode and immediately you can tell whether it is by Fox, the executives, or maybe even the people who are creating this show felt we need to revamp things so that it's more accommodating to the viewers because we cut to this new bar set and... Uh, and this was so striking to me, but I, I didn't get this impression from you when watching it. You never commented. I never commented on it, so I don't know if this was something to you. But there was a definite 
a direction push to make things far more colourful and vibrant and friendly to the eye, as well (laughs) as just making everyone kind of more jokey and friendly uh, and more palatable, rather than that cold, stark, dark, dreary tone and visuals that we've been having since right till this moment. Did that occur to you at all, or did that not really come to your peripheries? I didn't think about it that way. I I did notice those things, but I was just like, oh... That this is this episode. Like mm. everybody is in a more relaxed place. They're having some downtime, whatever, whatever, whatever's. Yeah. Um, it was the new opening credits that really made me go, Oh, okay. Okay, you're doing this? You don't need to be doing this, but somebody told you you should be doing this. So what are the opening credits? It's now a narration from McQueen explaining the plot of the show. And framing him like he's the central lead character of the series. Yes. He's like, I am this leader of this group, and I'm in charge of this, and I'm doing this. And and yet, when they still credit him in the opening credits, he is now the only one where it just shows his name, but he's not visually on screen to accompany his own name. Everybody else, they still introduce them in the order that they had before, or practically. They still have the guy who plays Nathan West first, and it shows you that, oh, he's the lead, I guess. But then James Morrison, he's still last, because, yeah, he's a leading character, but he's not the lead. I would still say the three central leads are... Uh, Nathan West, Vanson, and Cooper Hawks, and then I would put, I would put then McQueen after that. But that opening narration, you can tell from it just because it exists that mm-hmm. there was a definite note of we need to quickly explain to the audience in case they're just tuning in what the context of our series is, because I guess. Audiences can't pick that up by watching it? No, apparently not. We thought we were alone. We believed the universe was ours. Until one night in 2063, on an Earth colony six light years away, they struck. And now, we are at war. My name is Lieutenant Colonel T.C. McQueen. I'm an in vitro, a race of artificially gestated humans. I command a Marine Corps squadron. The 58th. They, as with many first seasons, you see as they go along the the production staff uh, crafting it. The uniforms can change. The lighting can change. The, adjustments the happen. Adjustments do happen. I think it's just because it's such a kick to the teeth because we, for 13 episodes, have slowly been seeing them do that. There's been slow changes and and subtle adjustments here and there in the writing as well as what we're seeing on the screen when it comes to sets, costumes, lighting, direction, music. But this, you you tune it in, and now everything's so brightly lit and colourful, and for my money. Now, I appreciate that the sets look better. They They, they have better material physically for the sets than, say, in The Farthest Man From Home. But for me, that bright, neon-y lighting 
makes it more dated, in my opinion. I felt the 90s-ness of the episode when they're having the important debriefing of Chiggy von Richthofen and the desk has this big orange underlight coming from it and I just, it reeked of the late 80s to 90s to me where, say for instance, Babylon 5's TV movie pilot The Gathering felt very much like that where there's these funky lighting choices going on and like every surface within this episode had some light underneath it like they're just sitting at a bar table often to the corner and it's like lit up and everything was lit up and i was noticing they're sitting and in the background uh, on the roof is just this blue neon light rod and i'm like to me this made it feel more contemporary to the time it was made when before, yes, the sets looked a bit cheaper because of the material, but that color palette and the way the cinematography was used made it timeless in a way. Yeah, it made it feel like it is in the future rather than it's a TV show made in the late 90s. Yeah, and it matched the tone. Very much so, though those those darkened colours. Now, something to consider is we're watching this in 2022 on our on our flat screen TV. Back then, this was the 90s, and it was the old TVs, and you have to, I guess, push up the colours so that people could see it better. <laughs> that is something yeah. to consider, and I agree with that. Like, if we're looking at it through that lens, then yes understandable you need to bring more color to the screen so that it can be seen far more easily for the type of televisions that we had at that time that i can abide by but there were other little production detail choices that i just noted down and i thought were odd such as some of the outfits had changed and they were brightened up now call me crazy you you may not have even noticed this, and maybe I'm overlooking, like looking too deeply. Vanson cut to her immediately, and I went, "Oh, she's got a new tank top that's a like a lighter color that stands out more on the screen. Like it's a lighter gray than before." That that no, that I noticed that I noticed that I was like, "I oh. did notice that too," but I was just like, "Oh." It's a new tank top. Yeah, there's no reason why it should bug me. Here's the one that bugged me the most. And this is, again, people, I rather enjoyed this episode. These are new things that are being introduced. It's just that it's just so abrupt. Everything else has been slowly tinkered. And then we get the new credits, these new outfits, the new lighting, the new sets. And it feels like we've walked into a slightly new, like a slightly different show. I got pissed off. I don't know why. Ross had a new hat. <laughs> he had a new hat. Uh, he had a baggier hat. It uh, I may be crazy. It, it, to me, it looked like it was a new hat. It was a little bit baggier around the edges. This is, this is just me being weirdly anal retentive. But outside of those things, I thought this episode was a banger and a half. What do you want to talk about? What do you want to want to get into first? What what is something you want to discuss? What I want to start off with is just the fact that this is a very simple story. Very straightforward. And it is beautifully 
still live it. Yeah, it's not groundbreaking, but it is as Space Above and Beyond has been doing very succinctly, very much in a clockwork-like precision. It is a great、uh, framework to hang the more important things off of. You get that cathartic thrill. I did. Where you have the space battles and that enemy that we have to fight, and the bureaucracy of war is tampering with the the victories that we could be having, and that stuff is all very on a carnal level satisfying. When they're having to fight the Chigi von Richthofen, and and there's this level of fuck yeah, but that's a framework to hold the character drama off of, as well as. What this series has to say about war and the military, and I thought it did it very well. They kept it simple. This is just a straightforward war story, but it's weird to say that as a compliment. But it is something to compliment that it is just straightforward, because entertainment doesn't always need to be this tap like this this this. Bunch of tangled wires, where it's like, oh, look at how it all weaves together, and like, look how complex we are. Sometimes you just need to come in and just hit the audience, and then just leave. And that's what I felt with this. It does its job well. All our plans are on hold until this chig is destroyed. We do not intend to wait around while the enemy advances, watching people die. Until a group of pencil-pushing rear echelon engineers can develop a new technology to combat the enemy. Today, you will go out there, find this bastard, and you pile on. This little mission that'll turn the tide of the war, which is to put this surveillance satellite in orbit around this planet, because they're planning to do an all-out offensive on what they believe to be the Chig. Homeworld. Aerotech has figured out the Chig homeworld, and they've known for a while, which、yeah. is nice. And it also makes sure to let us know that the previous time when uh, uh, the Fifty Eighth attacked a Chig planet that was not the Chig homeworld, that's what that said to me. Because the way the Fifty Eighth are talking about in this one makes it sound like this is a different location. So、yeah. that's good to know. That's a that's a nice bit of continuity that wasn't over explained to me. Nope. Um. So they encounter this chick, and everybody fucking dies. It has a cloaking mechanism or device, as the synopsis went over. It cannot be seen, and it is a very strong ship, as well as a very fast and maneuverable vessel. It is bulletproof. We we actually see that cannonproof. Cannonproof. Thank you. But we see that we we see them firing at it and it just pings off.、Mm-hmm. Even though the CG doesn't necessarily hold up today, what it is, what it is, it communicates、yes. clearly and effectively. It communicates clearly and effectively what they're going for, and it does so in a way where it is again. 
on a gut level, I'm just going, mmm, yeah, I like this. This is so <laughs> fucking cool. The music accompanying it does a lot mm. of legwork to that as well. And we see this squadron that we haven't met before get eviscerated. And they humanize them before they die. They make sure to let us know that this particular woman is going to be important before she dies because she's talking about this man that she's hoping to see again and then she gets killed and she apologizes to him before she dies and we know, oh, okay, we're going to have to follow through on that. Yeah. And uh, That's we- going to matter, but we don't know a John, so why is it going to matter to us? Mm-hmm, and we find out. We didn't talk about the most important thing. What's a... Uh- What's a piece of uh, business that the Chiggy von Richthofen ship has on it so we know it's it, Rachel? <laughs> well, you see... <laughs> I love it. There, there, there's a message on the side that Manton sees and there's a like one on the other side that, you know, y- you know is there but you don't see it. So the obvious one is all hope is gone. Abandon all well, hope. Abandon all hope. Sorry, with a a crude skull. We see the crude human skull. That was yeah, cool. and I don't know if you spotted it, but on the other side, there's a I kill pags. Oh, I wish. I wish it said I killed pags on it. Oh, I kill pags. R I P pags. Burn in hell, Pags. Fuck you, Cooper Hawks. Yeah, I, I really, I, I loved how they put that detail in there. That was really cool of them. It was a nice callback to the pilots, and I appreciated it. But no, I fucking adore the fact that they have chigs with personalities nice without us up. seeing them. And Yes, and a subtle piece of world building that... It's like, is this a rogue chig? Not that... They wrote in English, meaning they do have our language and they understand it enough to use it to taunt us. said that. They said that, but we're following through. We're We're following through. It's it's logical. It makes sense. But I just, I like that a lot. It's just a piece of business. It's there for them. It's there for them. Yeah, the uh, if we just want to keep following on the uh, the Chiggy stuff through this, because I think the the Shane character drama is the far more integral and interesting part of what this uh, particular one is going for. Because again, the space battles are not the story; they are things that help. They're the backdrop. Um, they're the backdrop. That's a that's a wonderful way to put it. They're the backdrop and they add the tension uh to the character drama. So we have space battles and they're very satisfying. I they used a lot of CG. They had a lot of the hammerheads flying around. We haven't commented on the hammerheads in a little while. We, I feel like we haven't seen them in a little while. It's been a lot of our guys on the ground running yeah. around. We haven't had space battles, it feels, for... When was the last time? Was it hostile visits where they had to get inside the Chig vessel that they captured and fly it back? Mm-hmm. That was a while ago now. That was like five episodes ago. I feel like we've had one more recently than that. but Yeah, but that's the point. They they used a lot of the hammerheads. I love the hammerhead designs. I like that they have a gun on the back. 
that shoots behind them that feels so smart and they have uh these multiple uh uh, uh ways of making the the ships turn around and flip around that yeah. feels very realistic uh i like makes that makes them more dynamic makes them more dynamic and yeah they they have talked about before i think they said that the hammerheads are faster Oh, I can't remember which way around it is. Uh, I may be wrong. One of the things is one of the ships is faster than the other, but the other one's more maneuverable. Yeah. I think the Chig ships are more maneuverable, and we see that a lot. They just, like, spin around all the time, but they're not yeah. as fast as, a, as the Earth ships. And either way, we, we get the space battle stuff. It's, it's, it's been a little bit of time. How did you feel about that? Because I know that between us, I'm the one that's always more hungry for these, uh, these shooty, shooty, bang, bang moments. But, uh, how, how did Um, you go with it? I thought this was paced really well. I love a good stealth mission and this is kind of somewhat of a reverse of that because they're trying to uncover the person. On the stealth mission, <laughs> most of them don't even know it exists or mm-hmm. even believe in it. So yeah. you have that underlying thing of you know that for them to find it, people have to die. They say that. Yeah, yeah. How will we know when when some of your fellow guys get shot out of the sky? Oh, oh, <laughs> not very motivating, huh? Nope. Nope, not at all. Uh, trust McQueen. <laughs> Yeah, and um, we we learn that we have an offensive strike we're going to take against the Chigs. This is something that is now building up, and I really wanted to praise the series for that because we have talked about for several episodes now that we would like to have a greater understanding of where we are in the war. Yeah. What is the the shape of this conflict currently? And here we are. We got it. Mm-hmm. How did yeah. you how did you feel about that? Do you feel like it helped alleviate these concerns, fill in some gaps for um, you, give us a, a direction to go I'm forward? I'm still just like, how much time has passed since the start of the war? I don't know. I think it's been less than a year. Yeah. Um But I that that question was thrown up when McQueen was like, our our senior officers should know. And then, obviously, he tells Vanson. And I'm like, is Vanson already a senior officer? Like, I know that she's in charge, but, like, just the way that my... Logic went with that. I was... She's there. She's like there, the head of the fifty eighth. Yeah. So, and since she was volunteering mm-hmm. to go on the mission, yeah. and he knew her, and he's like, I'm going to break regs and yeah, tell you. She is trustworthy. Yes, in McQueen's eyes, which I think is more of the important thing. Like, if they'd listened to him, then John would have been the one that was told, not necessarily. And and, and and McQueen only just got told himself. He was withheld this information for a while. Even at the beginning, he didn't believe that there was a a chig out there doing this because mm. he would know by now. Yeah, surely. Nope. <laughs> nope, now you get told. No. And he seemed pissed about it, too. Because they were still trying to hide it from him. They just couldn't anymore. And they were bureaucrating it. Yeah. Oh, we can't do this because of these reasons. And you see 
Uh, this is a way of things. They were they were rationalizing, withholding the information, and both which is a very World War One thing. Which is this is evoking mm-hmm. very directly. I also really liked how this criticized the military uh, in this episode by not only showing us the benefits of it in terms of we have our heroes who are part of you know, the Marines and they're fighting and they're helping save the day and look at the cost of war. But when it comes to McQueen and Ross, you see how they are trapped and how they are fuming and furious and just also listless about the machinations of the military structuring that they're a part of because of these higher ups who are in league with a with a corporation and how they're being hampered to do things because of just how even in war times even in our own military there's the hierarchy there's those pencil pushes who are saying no you got to do it like this actually no we got to do this and it's just i really appreciate the acting from from uh, McQueen and Ross where they don't have to say anything for you to know that they are men trapped. We simply cannot have any cause for hesitation during engagement, Colonel. Hesitation? These are our people. You give us everything you've got and we'll go out and hunt it down. And what are you going to look for, Colonel? No one has ever lived to see it. Our pilots will never know unless they are told of this situation. They didn't find any remains, so he's still out there. Uh, that was uh, a nice little uh, twist and on the tale. you know what tale. I like about that as well? When they were trying to reassure her, they were like, oh, we saw a spark. Mm-hmm. And then it. you figure out that like they found John's body, so that spark was the <laughs> chig. Yeah. The chig getting away. Yeah, or or his ship exploding. Yep. So I I took it as that was actually the Baron getting away. Flying off. Yeah. Be- getting ejected. Well, do you think the ship is lost? Because the way that they go about it in this episode is this could be the only one and we need to make sure to take it out before it becomes successful enough for them to want to Build have more. more of these. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's been destroyed. I think that the corporation has it. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, that's what I was going to also pitch to you your way. Did you think that they were going to destroy it and win the day? Did you think this was going to be a one-and-done incident? I was wondering about that during the episode because in the majority of these episodes, they win, but at a cost. Mm. So I was just like, oh. Is the cost of John the cost? And AKA yeah. Vanson's long lost love. Yeah. Um, and then I was like, oh, it would kind of be a bit anticlimactic for them to set up this huge singular enemy that gives them a very specific person to fight against Mm. and for that to be one and done i thought that they would try and do more with that idea and 
You have only just introduced them in this episode. The Chigi has not been built up until now. And so within 90% of this, we just have that slow build-up feel, that feel of this is a new thing to the world where it just comes in and kills and leaves. There's not a lot of development of it within this episode like we get it exists this is what it's capable of we get that but there's an avenue where you could go further with it so it would be a waste to just blow it up at the end and just move on and I remind myself very much so I'm reminded very much so of Scar in Battlestar Galactica yeah where randomly they cut to in Battlestar Galactica, our crew are, like, frayed and uh, losing their edge and they're just sick and sad and tired because apparently for however long they've been losing people to this one Cylon uh, 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 fighter that's called Scar because it has a big scar on, its, uh, on the front of it. And it's like, we've never heard of this. It's never been set up and they just destroy it within that one episode. And yeah. it... it it's just one of those things where you go, oh, okay, oh, I guess you're done now. You're done with that, and you move on. This this feels uh, a bit more of an appropriate way to use that idea to hopefully spread it across more episodes. I don't uh, don't really want to give away if they do or they don't, but mm-hmm. you, you know that, no that, that you know that that potential is here. Yeah, the way they end it, they go could be another day. And they've done that a few times with things where they go, well, the silicates say. The silicates, well, maybe we're not done with them. And then you wait several episodes and the silicates come back and they do something with them. And so Space Above and Beyond... They make it worth it. They make it worth it. Space Above and Beyond for is, is, is really strong at propelling those little mysteries or those little uh, hooks into you where mm-hmm. we're still... So, for instance, talk about the corporation. Um, we don't know what Sewell's doing still. We, we, no. we haven't touched that again, but you know that they're most likely going to. It's just one of those things because they've touched it already like once or twice. They, the Space Above and Beyond just has a... A little bit more of a subtle hand at that than a lot of uh, shows in this era did. It's more of a sleight of hand than a spinning of plates. I am reminded of how X-Files would do it, where X-Files would would do it in this manner, especially in its first, first few years like this, where it's asking the audience to be patient and say, hey, we may come back to this, and the fact that there is a conspiracy... Uh, and that we're elongating this and getting you, the audience, to wonder what the payoff will be makes it greater. Because mm. this episode's dealing with conspiracy stuff too. Like, the corporation knows uh, a lot of things and, and you... But also just the rumour mill. Yeah. Like, it isn't all just conspiracy for, con- like, high level, like, hush, hush, hush. It's like... Oh, all of the all of the squadrons are getting pulled in. Something big's gonna go down. I wonder what it's gonna be. And people hypothesizing and then pretending like they know that they're right and spreading that information. 
the best moment of the episode was uh, uh, was Ross. Uh, you know the moment. I'm just going to play the clip because it was it was uh, what I would call a fine piece of writing elevated by the perfect actor. What's the nearest squadron to that region? It's the 58th squadron, sir. The wild cards. Abandon all hope, my ass. He's so good. He's so, so fucking good in this role. They all are. We're at this point where I'm comfortable to say that our entire cast, including even the guest actors, are very good. Mm-hmm. I still miss Cooper's long hair, though, and have to do like take a moment to remember who it is. Really? Yep. He has such a distinct face to me and voice. Uh, that, I, I don't know. I always looked at the hair first and the face second. Wow. Were you, were you turned on by the hair first and then the face? Wow, wow, wow. My wife is a, well, a was, hair girl. He made it. That's why she's with me. I've got long, thick, curly head of hair. That's why curls she got... Curls get the girls. Curls get the girls. That's what's missing in this crew is a guy with curly hair. Yeah. Um, they should have got me. <laughs> no, like, the long hair was what made Cooper the most distinctive because it's like he was the only one with long hair and now he's got the same standard. Military hair. Yeah. I think it matches better, honestly. Yeah, it does. I don't it, know. It he always stood out. He better. always stands out to me because he has such a, a chiseled face. And well, he's he, a model after yeah, all. He, yeah, and... He is the most, uh, I would say, beefy in our cast. Yeah. Like he looks like, like he could be. He actually looks distinct. like he could be in the army, and looks like he could punch you real good. While like West is this like little Weasley guy, and no offense to that actor, that's what this role requires. And in this episode, West didn't get to do much, but what he did do was excellent. He just had silent, judgmental looks a lot, and that actor is very good at that. He's very good at just expressing so much with those eyes of his, and that's why I really like that episode where it was all about West a few few back. But uh, an old flame comes to the Saratoga, and alarm bells ring every time a science fiction series has the old lover oh God, come so bad. to the, to um, the ship. And, uh, I was, like, having Lockley flashbacks. Oh, in Babylon 5? Yeah, that was the one that came to my mind. But... Because I was like, oh, was this a new person? Are you doing a handover? Oh, no, no. Uh, an old love, an old potential fiancé. And uh, what did you think? What did you think of it overall? Because we both grit our teeth when they do the old lover story, but did this work or did it this not? It worked for me. It worked for me. And you know what I fucking loved about this? What? The flashback worked. The like the flashback really worked. And there are so many ways for that kind of scene to go bad. And it doesn't. They kept it they kept it simple. They just kept it simple. Them on a beach at their graduation talking about their future and we get implications of what happened and what didn't happen and subtext and the mood is set. 
I, and it really matters that we get to see that moment from an objective standpoint. Yes. Like, it, it wouldn't work if either of them were recounting the tale or if it was like a, you remember the night that I proposed to you conversation. Yeah. It needed to be a flashback. Mm. And it was no fact. No fluff, mm. and it really allowed those performers to shine. They flip a lot of things on their head too. That when it comes to these, oftentimes it is the woman who is the highly emotional one, and/or the romantic one, because you know that's that's how women be. Gender roles. Gender roles. And yet here, Vanson's femininity is still very much key, but it isn't the definer of it, of her character. It isn't that she is so lovelorn for this guy that it is dictating her actions and emotions fully, but it is there enough. But it's not there enough to make me disbelieve her character because many times in stories of 90s science fiction TV, there are characters like Seven of Nine, Deanna Troy, Dr. Crusher, Major Kira, where they act out of character or they're forced into an avenue of their character that isn't very appealing because the writers this week are doing a love plot. And it's just easy to... And it's easy to believe because they're women that... This is how they would act. While you know for a fact they would never do that to the guys, not in the same way that they do with the women. And actually, that's something I really want to point out with Space Above and Beyond as well, which is the 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 the, the traditional tropes of the male and female leads in the series are flipped here, where it's Nathan West is the one who's driven by love. Mm-hmm. He's the guy that's dictated by romance. And we see how that can be a detriment to his character, while oftentimes that is something for the women to go through in these, where I think of, say, uh, uh, Dr. Crusher, where it's like, oh no, she's the woman with a son and a dead husband, and she loves Picard, but they can't enact on it because, you know, they're from two different worlds. And, and oh no, this week she falls in love with a guy who's a ball of energy. And it really upsets her that they can't be together and she's forever saddened. But next week, she's she's fine. While here, I appreciate so much that Vanson, although has a tragic love story in this, didn't diminish her in any way. It, it in fact, strengthened the character. Um, I liked it for three primary reasons. One, the actors are very good. They, it, that's just <laughs> important. I believed them. I believed yep. their chemistry worked on Check the screen. That off. I really thought that um, it was going away where I would have hated it, which is she volunteers the 58th to do this because the 35th are down a person because, you know, his girlfriend died. And then 
they are told, no, Vince, and the 58th can't go because these guys are actually more experienced, and then she volunteers. I thought his girlfriend was part of a different squadron. I thought she was part of the same squad. Either way, somebody died. Because three of them died. Yeah, but she's she was a like, part yeah, of... you want to see that other dude from that other squadron? I... Sorry, sorry. It doesn't matter. The point being is they're down a man, so they need a new man. She volunteers, Vance and volunteers, and... I crossed my arms a bit going, okay, she's doing this because she's in love with him and wants to be close to him. <sighs> All right. Yeah, I'm so used to these stories where they do this and okay. Off. All right. What should I guess? And then you have that scene where she asks McQueen if she's doing the right thing. She, she, she wants to know if she's being foolish. She wants to be told that what Reassured. she's... Reassured. Well, no, but to me, she wants to also be told what she's doing is wrong. Because that's Vanson. She wants that reassurance to know that actually love is bad. Because she's Vanson. She has a hard time connecting to that side of humanity within herself to accept connection. And I really was bought in and won over to this being a plot when he said there has to be something outside this war. Yeah. That Vanson and you, the audience, it is okay for people in this series to be driven by love or friendship or family or things uh, outside of the war. (laughs) They can be driven by those things within the war. So, hey, it's okay that Vanson is volunteering for this mission because she's in love with this dude. That's okay, because if she didn't, one, she'd be a less human character for us to relate to, but also it would be there would be no story. Mm-hmm. And the third thing that I really, really was uh, really appreciating is why they didn't get engaged. Why they didn't get engaged in the past and how... Vanson broke it off and said no because but didn't break break it off mm-hmm. like there was this feeling of I haven't said no and I haven't said yes so we can just keep on going like it was before right because she doesn't believe in forever she was affronted and 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 repelled by how he wanted to be together forever she gives that little speech about the moon. I thought it was a great use of character continuity to help fill in why this is an old love. Because how many and times... why she's never mentioned it before as well. How many times in these shows, new and old, when we meet the old flame, do you not believe they were ever together, but also believe of why they broke apart? Yeah. It's just like, oh, if they were ever together, they would still be together because, like, nothing that bad. Mm-hmm went wrong, there was no big divide between them. But the flashback gives us exactly what the divide is. As well as and the what we moment know. that defined that in their relationship, which is a clear moment of Vanson's character flaw playing out. Yeah. She 
because of the death of her parents, has this hole in her where she just cannot fill it. She cannot fully connect with people. She's always... She mistrusts it. She mistrusts it. She knows that things are finite. Yeah. And so the idea of love and being engaged and married and being together forever is something she can't accept no, because she doesn't believe it. Death will always take you. And then we have the line at the end of Vance and where you're going to fight the inevitable. Or something else. It's not always immediate death. It's just like she knows that, that it Things will end. end. Things end. It will end in one way or another. You die, I die. Mm-hmm. We break up, we fall apart, whatever. But it will end. Mm-hmm. It's guaranteed to end. And what a powerful thing to also expand upon the trauma that is in this character. Because at the end of the episode where we had her facing off against the silicates, it still ended with her having nightmares, but they were just new nightmares. Yeah. Saying that it's not over and pe- potentially it can it can always be there. That perhaps these you learn to live flaws with it. don't go away just because you have a nice little story that says, hey, it's over now. This is the human condition, though. There, there is a world where you would like to believe that Vanson would get engaged to this guy and just disregard the idea that not everything's forever, but that's just not like, how maybe it's going to be. Maybe we can make it work. You know, like, I think of the comparison of um, being, like, growing up a child of divorce and being like, oh, Fuck marriage. Yeah. It doesn't work out. Like, it, it just, like, it, older generations made it work, but I'll never find somebody that's my forever. Yeah, and... Whatever. We, we get st- stuck in our ways, and sometimes those can be good and sometimes those can be bad. We see that... McQueen and Vanson relate to one another because they have very strict convictions and they adhere to them. They're professionals and even when they are having emotional turmoil, they still pull it together. Yeah. And that's why those two characters, when they interact, it feels very real and raw and rewarding to see because although both of those people, as does everyone in this show have baggage, they can put on that straight poker face, which is also a part of their problem. Vanson puts up that front. Yeah, Yeah. Vanson hides within her persona, and that's why this old flame is bringing out this, this, this sorrow within her, because ideally she also doesn't want to be like this, but she's stuck in the ways of her life. You know, for myself, say, you were talking about being child of divorce. For me, you know, I grew up in a rural shithole country town, and that has very much defined how I look at locations, how I look at where I live, and I don't have that much of an attachment to physical places. You do. You have a very strong attachment to the places you live and community and and stuff of that nature. I don't, and that's just how it is 
been defined for me my entire life and a part of me feels bad about that and I wish that that could change but deep down I just think that it won't and yet why can't it and that's how Vanson is with just not just love but being able to relate to people on a level mm-hmm. that's deeper than hierarchy because yep. that's how she's managed to get away with everything in the season is she's in a place of hierarchy so she doesn't really need to relate to west mm-hmm. and cooper and yeah. and and everybody else on that deeper human level she needs to relate to them as fellow soldiers as fellow marines as people within a strict guideline isn't that interesting to think about yep it and- is and it's interesting to think about how her making and hiding or gathering and hiding Christmas presents mm-hmm. plays into that. Also, this episode, geez, this episode has really got a lot going on character-wise. Mm-hmm. They play with what I just said there with the romance stuff when she volunteers to join them and you have them after the battle uh, blowing up at each other and yelling at each other and then and the bar later having us a, 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 a proper talk about it and forgiving each other and being more level-headed. There's a beautiful play with the the character dynamic and conflict of Vanson is this person whose character flaw is being able to relate to people on that human level and her other character definer is she's the strong military woman. Yeah. And we see both of those be played up and see how they can work together and conflict at the same time. Mm-hmm. I really liked when they danced together. That that was a beautifully uh, the, done scene where they're talking about the I fact loved... that they have all of these pan- uh, Patsy Cline songs, but they don't have theirs. Yeah, and how he's grateful for it. But I love the line that she has where... I'm sad that she's gone, but I'm glad that I'm here. Like, it might not be exactly that, but it's just so true of how you can be sad for somebody's loss, but you're glad that you're there with them and it's all complicated and tied up. John, I'm so sorry that she's not here. Space above and beyond does something, and I don't know how it gets away with it. It is a, this episode, Never Know More, is steeped heavily in homage and callback and love of the 40s and 50s. So hard. And so hard. World War One stuff, as as we've said, their romance is fra- and the music is framed like something you would watch in those old movies, in mm-hmm. those old shows, and those books and pieces of the time, and the lines of dialogue and the music. We've gone over this. The overall aesthetic. It is World War Two in space, and it's not just World War Two, of course, but. Mm-hmm. I, even though it's steeped in that stuff, and it even plays 
the emotional beats similarly to how those old things did. Like their romance, the way that oh, the they classic classic. Although again, it does have that wrinkle subversion. of subversion of why they broke up and how it ties into her ongoing character traits, but. There's something about how Space Above and Beyond manages to grab me on that emotional level that I can't quite pinpoint how they succeed at doing that because I can understand why viewers of Space Above and Beyond don't always connect with it because it is very, 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 very much waving its flag mm-hmm. in the air of what it's taking from it's and that can particular. be it, that can be a distraction for people it can be uh something that takes away and on an intellectual level i feel that sometimes i'm watching space above and beyond and i go oh yes i see what they're doing here and blah 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 but yet by the end of the episode when we have vanson i feel so sad and sorry and melancholic but also a little bit hopeful and I just, when we were watching the end of the credits, I was silent to myself and I really was soaking in the emotional weight of the episode. And I don't know how this series does it, considering how steeped it is in the tropes and the imagery and the and the general stuff of the 40s and 50s material it's drawing from so overtly usually i would think that i would say uh it needs to be more subtle with that stuff for the emotions to work yet here i am how do you how do you feel about it? like do you feel similarly or no yeah it it took me by surprise because I was on guard with this romance shit. I was like, oh, oh, we're doing this. Oh, I don't want this. But they did it in a refreshing way where they're using all of the tools that they have at their disposal and making it it's greater than the sum of its parts. Because it is more than just those tropes. It's more than just melodrama and overt and overwrought romance. It's more than that. There's a quietness to it. Back to the simplistic beauty of this episode. Space Above and Beyond also, when they're sad... Because this is a it's a sad episode in the end. It's 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 a downbeat thing. But you're never like, oh, they're gonna get back together and live happily ever after. It never gives that vibe. I again don't know how they do this because I I guess I haven't felt this specifically in another show the way that I do, especially in just this one season of television. That space above and beyond has. A, it has a specific brand of sadness that it conveys hmm. of its own, but yet there's a diversity of tragedy and sadness that applies to each of the characters. Like, the sadness that I felt, the, the raw emotions that I felt in this were similar to 
the Vanson episode that we had previous, but different to the one that we had with West just recently, and different to Who Monitors the Birds with Cooper, and different to and with Wang's Torture. Yet, it's still that in the ballpark of that same emotion. They are exploring the different gradients of tragedy and sadness and, and overall uh, oppressiveness. And I, I, again, I haven't really... Grappled with that, especially on this podcast. Like Babylon Five has its sadnesses and its things that are unique to each of its characters. Yet I don't know. There's something about how Space Above and Beyond can blend its sadnesses together, where the the absolute torment of Vanson is blending together with that specific brand of of just downbeat that this series brings within most of its episodes i i yeah this this one never know more is making me look at the big picture of space above and beyond what makes it unique to me as a, a television series and making me really grapple with what it does and how it does it yeah like it's just another way that this show succeeds it makes you think about how someone like Vanson as a person in the real world as well as one within this uh in this fictional world. fictional world can exist like how do you progress how do you get better and the fact that this doesn't have that neat little clapping of the hands moral moral message at the end like a star trek episode would and now the character's thing is done but we'll just do it again in another episode the fact that there isn't a nice tidy clean resolution here because it's saying well we can keep coming back to this in she's our not show magically fixed she's not magically fixed but she's not so broken that you don't want to watch her either no, she's a person with faults. Yeah, she's a character that when I think about her, I'm I'm ecstatic to see what she's going to get up to and how she'll lead an episode, but I know that it will make me sad. <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. All that I believe is that no one can know how things will be different, how things will change. The only certainty is now. And I sure don't believe in forever. Uh, I give this one a yum yum. It's a yum yum for me too. Yum yum. The next episode is called The Angriest Angel. Now, with that as a title... Going back to McQueen's original crew! Well, yeah, I was going to say that. We're referencing the angry angels who were completely killed and decimated in the pilot, and Mm -hmm. McQueen has... And it's been stated that McQueen is the one survivor of that. Yep. So, with that in mind, what do you think the angriest angel will be about? I think it's going to be about McQueen! (laughs) On a scale of 1 to 10, how excited are you about that? 10! <laughs> so, give me a pitch. Quick fire pitch. The Angriest Angel, McQueen episode, what will what will McQueen be up to? Um. Oh. Mm, I don't know. I don't know. Um. Okay, here's 
my base thoughts, and I don't think this is going to be right, but this is the idea that is coming to my mind right now. The first thing that I thought of, because I saw this title before we watched this episode. It was on the DVD menu. Yeah, it was on the DVD menu. Um, And I was like, oh, are they going to find out one of the other angels is still alive? And that could be good. Um, my other idea is that it, like, we're just gonna get lots of angry McQueen. <laughs> Literal. You're just gonna get I McQueen th- and he's yeah. angry. Yeah. What's he angry about? Give me a plot. I like the plot uh, idea of going they f- up against the brass. Okay. Going up against the brass. McQueen has to go against his brass, the brass in the military. Hey, maybe him and Ross fight it out. By the way, and then he happy Ross to see Ross again. Serenades him with the guitar, and then they make love mm-hmm. on his desk. No, on the guitar, uh, with the guitar in the middle. Uh, they, they. <laughs> that's a fan. That's a that's a drawing. People draw that. Send it over to us at uh, yumyumpod at gmail.com. Or you can send us that on our various social media, Yum Yum Pod or Yum Yum Podcast. Our DMs are open. Yes. Uh, so various social medias. All of this is in the description below, as well as our Patreon, where we make this exclusive bonus content, including Yum Yum and Beyond. If you're listening to this on that main feed, you can go ahead to our Patreon feed and listen to all of the episodes be discussed. Uh, that is how we do it. You can rate and review the podcast and whatever hosting site allows you to do so. We would very much appreciate that. As well as you sharing this uh, episode in our discussions around the place. Uh, because Space Above and Beyond particularly is a series that I have mentioned very often is is overlooked and discussed rarely. And when it is discussed, it is often in that scope of people talk about the show as a whole, and especially for some reason, I really don't understand this, a lot of podcasts talk about it as a whole without having even watched it recently. Some of them like haven't watched it since it first came out. And there are very few podcasts out there that do it episode by episode. And so I would really implore you people out there to, to share our stuff around for those who are uh, just hungering for people to talk about space above and beyond in a more deep uh, way than what is usually talked about. So if you could do that, I would very much like that of you. It would be nice. And also just talk to us about space above and beyond. Hit us up on uh, email and uh, social medias to let us know what you, you think of the series. You can message us even if it isn't it that the fan art that we just yeah re-watched. just let us know what you think of the series how how you've been going with it have you been watching it recently watch it along with us next week we're going to be watching the angriest angel you in my shoes and you've never watched it before yeah 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 if you're first timer going through we would like to hear what you think about it as well uh that is it Pags was here in the episode, written on the side of Chiggy Von Richthofen's ship. That's the closest we're going to get to him. So, R.I.P. Pags. R.I.P. Pags. Here's to Pags. <laughs>